we're always grateful to come together as a church. And you know, so much of what we've been studying lately in Ephesians, uh, there's all of this focus on the church and our, our roles and responsibilities and the blessing that we can be to one another. And uh, we've been talking so much about that here, specifically in chapter 4, uh, and, and walking in unity with one another, and what that begins to look like, and how that kind of unfolds, and now starting to get into uh, further here, in, in oh, a couple weeks ago, we started talking about some of the gifts, and how it's, these are measures of the grace of God, Christ, who is imparted to us and gifted to us these, these things that are to be a blessing to one another. Gifts are not to be withheld or kept, just as the grace of God is not to be withheld or kept to ourselves, but shared with one another. And, and so we, we springboard from there, uh, talking about these gifts, talking about where they come from and, and who they're all about. And remembering that all the gifts are about one person, and that's Jesus. The gifts are to glorify Jesus. If they're ever going to start glorifying us, then there's a problem with the gift. that It's gotten out of line, and Paul will step in in various situations with the Corinthian church, and he'll speak to them in a corrective manner in regard to the gifts, as well as many other things in the Corinthian church. But So here... This is kind of, this is a bit of an introduction and remembering that Ephesians is a letter that was put in circulation, a letter that is written for us still to to have today so that we can learn what is our role as people in the body of Christ, as being part of the church, what is, what is our various roles? What are the gifts that have been given? And, and how has God set things up within the church? Um, And we remember that the gifts are all about Jesus him, uh, Christ in us and Christ through us, and they are measures of his grace for the glory of Jesus and for the benefit of the body. Today we're going to look further into these gifts and their nature as well as their need or their purpose in the church and a little bit more specifics on the gifts. Looking here today at specifically gifts that are recognized for the church not just for people to do what they want with them. Again, all these gifts given so that we could give them to one another, that we could share the grace of God with one another. And our focus is on the church. Our focus is building up the church in these recent weeks here in Ephesians chapter 4 specifically. So that's what we're all about. That's where we're headed is building up the church. And that is the purpose essentially of the grace that God has given through these various gifts. And so verse 11, we begin with it as it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So we start with he himself, and we're talking specifically about Jesus, and we already kind of set that tone that Jesus is the focus of all the gifts. Glorifying Jesus is the focus of all the gifts. Jesus is the one who established these gifts and not men. It's not our gifts to give or to impart to each other. It is Christ in us and his grace that has been given to us that we might share with each other. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, it's not about it's, it's not something that's to be withheld, and it's not about us, it's about him. And so here we see Jesus has established it, not men. 
these gifts are established offices of the church, and they are by appointment from Jesus. They are by appointment of his grace, his grace that is bestowed upon men. All gifts are a measure of his grace, and all gifts come from Jesus. They are not ours to be established, they are his. And so first of all, it says he gave some to be apostles. And the word apostle means simply sent ones. And, and in that general sense of the word, then we are all called to an apostolic ministry as sent ones, sent out to do the work of the Lord. However, in the definition of how the, the New Testament would explain the position of apostle, it's a little bit more specific than that. You know, Jesus had many disciples, but he only had 12 apostles. And these were divinely appointed representatives of Jesus. That's really how the New Testament would outline for us. These are people who were appointed. These are men who were appointed by Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 10 actually tells us of Jesus appointing the 12 apostles, and they were sent out with power from Jesus. Now further, the apostles, Acts chapter 1 says this, they were to they were to give witness of the resurrection. Acts chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 says, Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. This is an essential. There's no, the, the essential to the office or the position given by Jesus of an apostle, according to the New Testament, is that they must have witnessed the resurrection. Now, today, according to the New, in the New Testament sense, there are no current day apostles. These men, these 12, were foundational in the early church. They helped to lay the foundation of the church. And we studied it several weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, speaking of the Gentiles here and giving them the sense of belonging in the body of Christ, but having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So once this foundation was laid, that was the purpose, that was what the apostles were, were in place for. In the early church, they were to lay the foundation. And this foundation, their foundation was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to keep that in mind throughout this study here foundational part of the church, a foundational part of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And being built on that foundation, even the Gentiles can be brought in to the family of God. Even those who were the lowest of low, they were exiled ultimately from the Jewish community. They were looked at as, as dogs, but yet they even could be brought in because of the work of Jesus Christ. Because of the resurrection. So that is the focus here is the resurrection. 
Now, as I said before, in a sense, all Christians have a calling to be sent ones in that general sense of the term. But we cannot claim for ourselves because it says he himself gave some. Not we ourselves claim to be apostles, but he himself has appointed. And he's appointed men who were witnesses of the resurrection, witnesses of the the risen Savior. And so that's the foundation. So according to the New Testament definition or full explanation, are we all sent ones? Yes. But can we claim to be apostles? No. But what is the key here? The foundation is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we're talking about the church and how the church is built, how the church is established, how the church is going to grow from here, and this is what he's talking about. He gave these gifts. He gave these gifts to the church, and some of those gifts were apostles. And that gift of apostles was based on the foundation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there is the gift, the resurrection. The foundation of the resurrection is the gift. Further, we look at the prophets. And we often will associate prophets with a prediction of the future, a prophetic uh, you know, word, so to speak, of a prediction of what is to come. And there, that, is, that is a relevant term in the Bible, of of prophecy that would come to pass. And we still have many prophecies today that are being fulfilled, and there's many more to come. Things that have been prophesied of in the Scripture that we will see take place throughout the rest of eternity. But now a prophet, by this definition, a prophet was someone who proclaimed the word of the Lord. The early church did not possess Bibles. Look at what we have right here. We have a Bible. Some of us have many, right? We also have these devices where we could download 14 different Bible apps, right? And we could like, oh, I like this one for this, and I like this one for this, and this one has audio I could listen to, and this one does this. The Cornerstone app has the Bible in it, right? So there's a lot of options here. The early church had none of those things. The early church had testimony. The early church had prophets who would speak the word of the Lord. And so when we're talking about these foundational gifts that were given to the church, we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the word of God. These are the essential foundations of the church, and these are the beginnings of the gift that Christ has given the church. The resurrection and the word of God. And we need to be focused on those things. We could get so caught up in the office of apostles, and people want these titles, and we could get caught up in the office of a prophet and that title, and like this is, this is a great label here. But a prophet was one who proclaimed the word of the Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit, these prophets would speak God's truth, a word to the people of God. And there was purpose in a prophetic word. There was purpose, and that purpose was, as 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, if you're taking notes, says, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And see, what Paul is speaking of here is a prophetic word, a word from the Lord for the church speaking to the church of Corinth in that sense. And that word 
that word of prophecy, the purpose of prophecy is edification, exhortation, and encouragement. The early apostles and prophets were foundational in the church and for the church. They were gifts. But those gifts are not about the people. As today still, gifts that are given are not about the individual. It's not about the people. It is about Jesus himself. And here in these offices, these positions that were in the early church, gifts that were given, apostles and prophets, was about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the word of God. That's what it's all about. Not about the person. It's only about one person and his name is Jesus. Modern day, the need for prophets is not quite the same, is it? Because we now have the canon of Scripture, the Bible. And as I said before, we own even several, some of us. And if you don't, as Pastor Collins said before, take the one that has been offered to you to use today because we want to make sure you have a Bible So then there's no excuse, right? We have the word of God. But further, a prophetic word is also subject to judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, further speaking of prophecy, and Paul again to the Corinthian church is often giving correction. He says, look, there's going to be judgment on a prophecy and a prophetic word that is given. So we can't take these things lightly. And far too often in the church, collectively, some of these offices or titles or positions have been taken far too lightly. And people claiming to be apostles, people claiming to be prophets, and you see these these titles going, getting thrown all over the place. But what is it about? Is it about the person or is it about Jesus? The resurrection, the word of God. That's what our focus needs to be on when we think about these foundational gifts to the church. Now further, he says, and some to be evangelists. The word evangelist meaning bearer of good news. The good news of the gospel in the early church as well as today, people would travel and preach the gospel to the lost in order to win the lost. We have missionaries that go all over the world from our church and from our country all over the world to various places to preach the gospel, to win the lost. There are some who have the gift of evangelism. Now, all ministers, all of us as believers in Jesus Christ are called to be a witness And that's a little different than actually having the gift of evangelism or the calling to evangelism. But all ministers are called to do the work of an evangelist, as 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 would say. Do the work of an evangelist. That's what we're called to. As a pastor, I am called to do the work of evangelist. But there are some who specifically have a gift of evangelism. Now, we should all have a passion to reach the lost. We should all be witnesses, as Jesus even said, you will be, you shall be, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Say, hey, 
The gospel is going to spread, and you're going to be part of it because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, not of yourselves, but of the power of the Holy Spirit. But now even some are going to have the gift of evangelism. So as I said, all ministers are called to do the work of an evangelist, but does not mean all are gifted evangelists. Some do have that gift. I looked, I look, oh, through, you know, historically, I would look at someone like Billy Graham to have the gift of evangelism, or Greg Laurie to have the gift of evangelism, right? When they speak, it is all this evangelistic message to win the lost. That is the purpose. You listen to a message over the years and at a crusade, and you hear these words that are of, of, of evangelism, and it's straightforward, the gift of evangelism, and people are coming to Jesus in thousands over the years. And we praise the Lord for that. But you see, that is a gift to the church. Again, not about the men. It's not about Billy Graham or Greg Laurie. But evangelism and the gift of evangelism, it is a gift to the church. So then the church might take the grace that is given and go be evangelists. We look at how God sets things up here. And all of the purpose of what we're seeing is God building up the church. Apostles and prophets laid a foundation of the church on the resurrection, on the word of God, And these must be the starting point for the church, the essential foundations of faith. Jesus, he came, he died, he rose, and then we focus on the word of God. This is what we are all about as a church. We're not a church without the resurrection. We're not a church without the word of God. And unfortunately, there are far too many so-called churches today in the world that have nothing to do with either Let that be your test of what the true church looks like. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the word of God. This is why we focus. This is why we're always talking about who Jesus is, what he's done, and we're, talking, we're going through his word systematically, going through the word of God, studying it together and growing in it together. Too many, too many churches around the world are labeled with other things besides the resurrection, besides the word of God. This is our focus. So then we have the apostles, prophets laid the foundation, the resurrection, the word of God. Then after the apostles and prophets laid the foundation, the evangelists are given as a gift to spread the word. Go tell the world, right? Now, this is a responsibility that we each have, but the evangelists were given as a gift to go out. Specifically, they are going out and spreading the good news. And we are, all of us, as I said, to be witnesses. In our lives, we are to be witnesses. As as it says, as Jesus said, go make disciples. What he's saying here is, in your going, make disciples. As you live your life, make disciples. And so not all of us are called to go and travel the world to be evangelists, 
But we are all called to, in our going, in our living, in who we are, what we do, in our jobs, in our interactions, we are called to make disciples. We are called to be a witness. And that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Further here, we see that some were given to be pastors and teachers. Now, this word in the ancient Greek joins these two together. Even as you read it in the English, it's different, right? We say, and to some, uh, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. This is one kind of joint compound word here of pastor and teacher, describing this as one office with one title. And the role, the, the, the definition of shepherd or elder, as we would see later on in Scripture, as Paul would write, is one who would shepherd the flock under the shepherd, Jesus. We are under shepherds, and some are given to do this, given as a gift to do this. Shepherding the flock of God is through what does it say? Pastor and teacher, shepherding and teaching, shepherding through teaching. But not only teaching. Yes, it is essential. And that's what we see when it's joined together like this. Teaching is essential to pastoring. It's what you need to do. If you're a pastor, you need to teach the word of God. That's what we are called to do. But it's not the only way that we're shepherding. It's not the only way that we're pastoring. But we will use, you know, here we're saying teaching is not the essential, but the word of God is the essential. In all of the shepherding that we do as pastors, the word of God is going to be the centerpiece, at least here at Cornerstone. Because honestly, without the word of God, I got nothing to offer you. You come and you might have, hey, I need some counsel. I'm like, all right, let's see what we got here. Because I don't have a PhD or any, you know, accolades to my name. I have the word of God and the work of Christ in me. And that's it. And that's my calling. And so as a, as a pastor, as a shepherd, and you could, you could talk to any of our pastors, you could talk to our elders, and they'll say, you know what? I'll give you some of the Bible. And you know what? The Bible is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce between bone and marrow. It is useful for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so that's what we got. Pastor and teacher. Pastor through the word of God. Shepherding through the word of God. That's what we're talking about here. And it's not by teaching only, but the word of God is the essential piece to it. The word of God will always be our focus, and it will be used to shepherd the flock. What's beautiful about the word of God is that it shepherds all of us. It's not just what we'll use to shepherd you, but the word of God shepherds me. It's for every single one of us. Now we move on to verse 12, finally, right? <laughs> After 30 minutes in verse 11. Verse 12, we begin to look at the need or the purpose of these gifts. 
What is the purpose, right? We've been given, okay, some, we have apostles and, and prophets. We looked at that foundation uh, and that gift that was given to the church of the foundation that is the apostles and the prophets, the resurrection, the word of God, and then we have evangelists. Okay, now let's spread the word so that we win people for Christ. And then further than that, we keep going, right? We have pastors and teachers, those who are called to shepherd the flock. These are all uh, parts of the body that God has set up, and this is set up for a purpose. And there's further point here. It is verse 12. It says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The purpose of all of that the purpose of, of the, the, the foundation of the church and the purpose of the church and the purpose of a pastor, the purpose of an evangelist is for the equipping of the church, for the equipping of the saints. So we have that foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the resurrection, the word of God. We have the evangelists who spread the word. We have the, the pastors who are called to shepherd the flock. And now we have the saints We have the church, and the responsibility is not left with the pastors to maintain the church. The responsibility is not going back to, okay, we'll just look at the apostles and the prophets, and we'll look at the evangelists, and we'll look at the pastors and say, oh, they could just take care of all of it. Verse 12, the saints, all of us. Every single one of us has a responsibility and we have a part to play and there is a gift given and this is, the gift that is given here is the equipping. The equipping of the saints. That's the purpose. The foundation of the the resurrection and the word of God and, and all of these things that God has set up in the church as gifts to the church are so that we would be equipped for the work of the ministry. The word equip or equipped means to put right, to set things in order. It was used in that day to to describe setting a broken bone or mending a net. Let's get it right. Let's fix this. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a bone set before, but it is an interesting experience to say the least. When I was 13 years old, I shattered my nose, a batted baseball right into the nose. I, I couldn't see for a moment, blacked out. I, I opened my eyes to a pool of blood and faucet of blood coming out of my nose. It was terrible but my nose is all sorts of jacked up. And I go to the hospital. They keep me because I'd lost so much blood. And then they're like, oh, we've got to do surgery, but we've got to wait for the swelling to go down. Okay, what does that mean? I'm 13 years old. I'm like, okay, cool. Can I go home? Can I eat? Because they wouldn't let me eat in the hospital. That's all I cared about. But in reality, you know, we, we, so we go a few days later, the swelling goes down, and we go to the doctor's office. And he's like, you know, usually we would put a 13-year-old, you know, you're right on this this border, whether we put you under or we just do like general, you know, like, or we just do you know, like Novocaine. I'm like, I'm tough, you know. My dad's there. He's like, yeah, he's tough. Like, I got this. Wow. It was the most horrific experience of my entire life. Starting with a needle that felt like it was this long and felt like it was being shot into my brain. 
And, and then, you know, the Novocaine supposedly is going to numb my face. It didn't numb my face. And then this guy takes a metal bar and shoves it up my nose and goes like, with this, all of his body weight is like, and I'm like, that's setting a bone. Some of you have had experiences of setting bones before, right? Now you're all like, is the nose still crooked? Yeah, it's still crooked. (laughs) But it had to happen, right? To set right is sometimes painful, guys, right? Equipping, it's sometimes painful. And what's painful about it? The flaws are pointed out. Our faults are pointed out. And that's a painful process. If I didn't have that bone set, my nose would be like over here. And it was a painful process to make it right, or mostly right, I guess. But here, in that same sense, the equipping of the body of Christ is sometimes very painful. As individuals, even as a church, It hurts when our flaws are pointed out. It hurts when we have some conflict with people. It hurts when our sin is called out. But it's needed. It's necessary. And it is our purpose. The church and these offices in the church have been established by God to help us put right the things in our lives so that we would be equipped for. And this is not just those who are called to church leadership. No, that all of us would be equipped for the work of the ministry. And what is the work of the ministry? Well, this would, the, the definition of it here, the work of the ministry is service. It's something that we're all able to do. The work of the ministry being service according to Christ's gift, a measure of grace that is given as Christ gave himself. We can give of ourselves. And the equipping process being painful is so that we can be equipped to build one another up, to strengthen the church, Our responsibility as church leadership is to equip you all to serve. And when we we make an announcement and say, hey, there's opportunity to serve, maybe we need to make it a little more strong to say, hey, you need to serve. If you're not serving, there's opportunity. And this is our purpose as the church. It's not just us saying, oh, we need your help. It's us saying, here's an opportunity to be strengthened in the Lord. Here's an opportunity to build up the body of Christ so that we all together can be much stronger. It's our responsibility as church leaders to equip you to serve, to call you to serve. And so much of our vision, guys, with these built life groups are truly to give greater opportunity to engage in one another's lives to be built up to serve one another. 
Our responsibility as a church is to edify the body of Christ, as it says here, verse 12. It is for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's why the gifts are given, to build up the church, not to confuse the church, not to tear down the church. And some of these things have been dividing factors in the church. But if they're all about Jesus, then they will edify, they will build up, they will strengthen And all of the body is called to edify the body. Not just the pastors, not just the leaders. It is all of our responsibility to build up one another. Verse 13 then, it says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until we all come to the unity of the faith. What's happening here? We have these foundational things, the apostles, these gifts, the apostles, the prophets, and that is what we're building on, the resurrection, the word of God. And, and we go from there beyond that to the evangelists, spread, let's win people, let's get more people in the church. And then beyond that, we have those who shepherd, those who are part of the church. And then beyond that, we have the saints who are all called to be edifying one another and building one another up. And now further, there's a, we have a purpose, and that purpose is Eternity. Until we come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, we are brought back to this point of unity in the church. Unity being the goal. Unity being established by Christ and maintained by the church. We maintain that unity by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. As this verse would then continue to tell, it's of the knowledge of the Son of God. This unity of the faith is about relationship with Jesus Christ. Knowledge of the Son of God. Not just this head knowledge of knowing about Jesus, knowing what the Bible says about Jesus, but knowing Jesus. That is the unity of the faith. Jesus himself knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified. We maintain this unity by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and equipping. We equip the church to do the work of the ministry. That should be our collective goal and edifying one another, building one another up. That too should be our collective goal. But let me be honest for a moment. I know Andy Dean said last week that I'll be nice, but for a moment, let me tell you, far too many people come to church and think that this is for them to sit and to eat a meal and to go home. That is not the purpose of the church, guys. The purpose of the church is to belong to a family, to be part of a family, and to contribute to the family. Not because we need your help, but that we might be built up and that you might be built up and that Christ might be glorified. That is our purpose. And the unity of the faith is Jesus. So we all need to fix our eyes on Jesus and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and equip each other to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus and challenge one another to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. 
And this unity is fulfilled when we see Jesus face to face. That happens through relationship with Jesus. Unity will be fulfilled one day. We try to maintain it now. But listen, as believers, we're going to spend eternity together. And the unity of the faith in that, in that time is no doubt Jesus. We will all bow down and worship. That is our unity of the faith. And we're going to spend eternity together. So why don't we work out some of our unity now? Why don't we build one another up now? As it says, until we all come to the unity of the faith. We have not arrived. One day we will all come to that unity, but it's not until we see him. So we've got work to do. We've got work to do to build one another up, to edify one another, to strengthen one another. This is through proper use of God's appointed gifts. It's through this knowledge of the Son of God and Jesus, who he himself gave some, gave these gifts. Through proper use of God's appointed gifts, there's proper equipping. And proper equipping, as I said before, can be painful because proper equipping invites accountability into our lives. Whatever it may be, whatever the sin issue may be in your life, when you are part of the body of Christ, you're inviting accountability into that very sin. You're inviting accountability into your life when you become more a part of the body, when you are giving of yourself and investing in in edifying the body of Christ. And some of you might say, you know what, I'm going to run that. Because I like just coming and sitting in a seat and hiding. That's easier. But you invite accountability. Accountability that is based on the word of God. And we don't love the idea of accountability, do we? But let me also say, this idea of, hey, we're, we're inviting accountability is not an excuse to walk around and point out everybody's flaws. Because we're quick to do that. And you might be sitting here right now and you're thinking, yep, that person, I know they've got a sin issue they've got to deal with right now. And they're sitting, you know, six rows across or whatever. You're thinking, oh, there's somebody, I hope they come to second service because they need to hear that. <laughs> I hope they listen online, whatever it might be. But the reality is we need to stop and we need to look at ourselves and, and be willing to invite accountability into our own lives and not just think, oh, it's my job to be accountability for everybody else's life. That would be a gift without grace, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. A sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. But accountability then, as it says here, leads to a perfect man leads us to Jesus. It points us to Jesus, the perfect man. There's only one. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that is the measure. It's Jesus, a perfect man, the only one. But what we're talking about here is in the meantime, until we see him face to face, this accountability that we're inviting into our lives 
would create greater spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity comes through steady growth of individuals, and it's all measuring up to Jesus. That one day when we see him face to face, we will be seen as we are clothed in his righteousness. This is into the fullness. This is the maturing process into the fullness of Christ. As time goes by, we should grow in Christ. We should look more like him. We should mature in Christ. If we've been coming to church for 10 15, 20, 30 years, and we're still looking the same as we did 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, are we maturing in Christ? No. If we're still just coming and enjoying, okay, I'm going to sit, I'm going to listen to the songs, I'm going to listen to the message, I'm going to try to stay awake, and then I'm going to go home. I'm going to have my lunch, I'm going to, in the football season, watch football the rest of the day, and then go to bed. Right? This is, this is the American church, guys. But we're called to mature. We're called to invite accountability into our lives so that we might grow in Christ as individuals and as a church. If we as individuals are growing, then the church is growing. And I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about people growing in Christ. And again, I bring it back to our built life groups. That's what it's about. It is about growing together. Growing in strength. And these are some of the things that we have already looked at throughout Ephesians. Listen, growing in strength. Growing in grace. Growing in mercy. Growing in gifts. Growing in knowledge. Growing in unity. And growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ. He has established the gifts within the church and given grace so that the church may be built up. It is not about any individual. It is about the body as a whole. Being fit together as we studied in chapter two. Being built together as a building, being fit together brick upon brick We all have a part. He's established gifts within the church so that we may be built up, so that we may edify. The apostles and the prophets built the foundation on the resurrection and on the word of God. The evangelists spread it. The pastors, the shepherds, shepherd the flock through the word of God. The saints, every single one of us, the church, equipped to do the work of the ministry and to edify the body of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are so good, so kind. We thank you for your kindness that leads to repentance. Jesus, I pray right now that you would deal with us. That you would point out in us 
the sin, the flaw, the things that we need to give back to you and get right with you about. Inviting the accountability of the body of Christ. Inviting your word to shine light into our lives that we might be changed. Not that we might stand still or sit still, but that we might be remade into the image of Jesus Christ, brought near by the blood of the Lamb. So Lord, I just pray for anyone in this room, Lord, who might be struggling with a sin issue, a life-dominating sin, Lord, bring them to repentance. 